You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, episode 150. Yes, 150 episodes, and we are going to celebrate this with a giveaway. That and so much more in today's episode. What are your three takeaways? Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. In the Nielsen house, we like to celebrate birthdays not just for one day, but for an entire month. (laughs) This is basically my excuse to pack in tons of fun and time with friends and good food and outings because it's my birthday month after all. Well, it's now the month of October, and no, it's not my birthday month, but it is the birthday month of 3 and 30, and we are going to party. October 12th will mark three years since I launched 3 and 30 into the world. I am so amazed by how the podcast has grown and changed and how it has changed me as a result. If you've been listening to 3 and 30 for a while, you may know that every year for the podcast birthday, I invite listeners to share their own three takeaways within their circles of influence, both on social media and in person, because I truly believe that every single woman in this community has valuable expertise and insight to share, whether that's insights on how to cut your child's hair better during a pandemic or insights on how to help a child with anxiety. We are all so much better when we learn from and share with each other. This has become my favorite tradition, and I hope you'll participate sometime during the month of October. All you have to do is take a photo of yourself holding up three fingers and post it to social media with your three takeaways about anything you'd like. Use the hashtag My3in30 and tag me at 3in30podcast, and I will be thrilled to read your insights and respond. If you are a private account, make sure you take a photo and send me a screenshot or I won't be able to see your post, but I will respond to every single one that I see. I am so excited to learn from you. You can also share to your stories, and if you're really ambitious, you can host a gathering of takeaways with your friends, either in person if the coronavirus conditions in your area allow for that, or virtually via Zoom. We've prepared a party pack for you if you're interested in hosting a gathering, and you can find that along with all of the instructions for participating in this campaign on my website at 3in30podcast.com slash birthday, and of course, I will include that information in the show notes. I'm going to be doing giveaways all month for the people who participate, and this week is the biggest giveaway of all. To celebrate 150 episodes of 3 and 30, I'll be giving away $150 to one random lucky winner who shares their three takeaways this week. I can't wait to spoil you, so jump right in and participate. Anyone who tags me this week will be entered to win $150 to celebrate the 150th episode of 3 and 30. I also want to make sure that you know that this birthday month of episodes is brought to us by Infancy, a program from Optometry Cares, the AOA Foundation. This amazing organization is devoted to helping families and children thrive, and I am just so grateful to partner with them again for the second time. I hope you remember Infancy from the campaign that we did together back in February. This is the organization that offers a comprehensive infant eye assessment for babies between the ages of 6 and 12 months old at no cost, regardless of family income or insurance coverage. 
I never thought about taking my babies to the eye doctor to make sure their vision was developing normally. In fact, as I'm thinking about it, my kids are now six and nine years old, and I don't think either of them has ever had a full eye exam because they've never told me that anything is wrong with their eyes. But young children, especially babies, can't articulate if something seems a bit off with their vision, which is why the infancy program is dedicated to educating parents to ensure that eye and vision care become an essential part of infant wellness care because that improves a child's entire quality of life. If you have a baby between the ages of 6 and 12 months old, all you have to do is go to the Infancy website, which will be linked in my show notes, and enter your zip code to find a participating optometrist in your area. Then call and tell them you'd like to schedule your baby for a complimentary Infancy appointment, and they will get you taken care of. It's really that simple. I'm so grateful for organizations that are advocating for the health and wellness of families, and Infancy is definitely one of those. It is an honor to partner with them this month as the sponsors of 3 and 30 and of our My 3 and 30 birthday celebration. And now onto the show. Today we're going to hear from several mothers from the 3 and 30 community who recorded their own unique three takeaways and emailed them to me, and we compiled them all together. And I hope that this will inspire you to think of your own and to get brave and share them in your circle during the month of October. I'm going to start with my three takeaways, and we will go from there. Enjoy! If your kids are anything like my kids, one of their favorite places to fight is in the car. (laughs) I don't know if it's being in such close quarters with each other or if they know I can't do much to stop them because I'm behind the wheel or what, but whatever the reason, it is so insanely irritating and it makes me want to lose my mind and my temper, and I often do. But when I can take a deep breath and remember these three strategies, I am much less likely to end up yelling at them, and that makes me feel kind of superhuman. So here are my three takeaways for how to get your kids to stop fighting in the car. First, turn on a kid's podcast. Our very favorite is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, which you've heard me talk about often before. It tells the life stories of real women from history and current events in the form of engaging fairy tales. I swear, when I turn this on in the car, my kids quiet down instantly and are swept into the stories. It doesn't matter if they are mid-argument, they will stop fighting and start listening. So a lot of times as they are fighting, I am like scrambling around, grabbing my phone and plugging it in so that I can turn it on and boom. They get quiet and they start listening. These Rebel Girl episodes often spark great discussions, such as when they asked me what foster care is after hearing about the life of Simone Biles, and when they asked me about refugees after hearing about the life of Yusra Mardini. So then we continue to talk as the car ride goes on about important, interesting things, and they're not fighting anymore, which is a total bonus. Another great thing about this podcast is that I enjoy listening to it as well. So it's something that can calm all of us during a heated moment in the car. One of my podcast listeners told me that she and her kids started listening to Rebel Girls after I recommended it on the show, and they love it so much that her kids often ask her to take a couple more laps around the block if they get home and an episode isn't over yet. You can find Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls on your favorite podcast app. And if you scroll to the bottom, there will be suggestions for other kids' podcasts that are similar that you can try out. And you can always Google that too, kids' podcasts, to get a list of ideas. I will say we have tried several and we listen to them occasionally. Another one of our favorites is Circle Round. But Rebel Girls is our standout favorite and it is the one that we consistently come back to. So I hope that your family likes it as much as we do. Second takeaway for when your kids are fighting in the car, distract them with silliness. 
I learned this one from Ralphie Jacobs, who has the Instagram account Simply On Purpose. I remember her telling the story that one time her girls were fighting in the car and she was desperate to distract them and get them focused on something else. And so she looked around her and she saw a baggie of pretzels on the passenger seat. She grabbed one of the pretzels and stuck it to her lip and started <laughs> and started saying in a goofy voice, look, I'm Mrs. Pretzel Face. I was born with a pretzel stuck to my face. Mmm, it tastes delicious. And she went on and on. Um, and then she asked her kids, do you want to try to be a pretzel face? Her young kids were bewildered by this random outburst from their mom, but they hesitantly joined in and then quickly forgot about what they were arguing about as they made ridiculous pretzel faces together. And I know you'll have to modify this depending on the ages of your kids, but just this concept of breaking up fighting with silliness. Um, I've thought of this advice often since I first heard that story, and I do what I can to be silly and lighten the moment when my kids start getting after each other in the car. I might claim to see something ridiculous out the window or make a farting noise (laughs) or do anything I can to surprise and distract them. It doesn't always work, but a lot of times it does. And my third and final takeaway for when your kids are fighting in the car and you don't want to scream at them is turn on a show or hand them your phone to watch something. And I know that may not seem like the most proactive or educational parenting advice. Maybe I should be embarrassed to give that advice. But honestly, I think as moms, we are often way too hard on ourselves and too rigid about screen time restrictions when sometimes it's totally fine to say, you know what? Right now, I just need peace and quiet. I don't want to scream at my kids. I want to listen to my own podcast without the kids fighting. And they are going to be just fine if I let them watch a show this time. What's ironic is that I've talked before on the show about staying in the discomfort with your kids and not turning on a show just to escape your discomfort. But I want to just say up front, sometimes it is best to consciously choose to put your own self-care first and plug them into a show so you can refill your own cup and sit in blessed silence for a few minutes. Other times it might be best to consciously choose to stay in the discomfort of them fighting and figure out a proactive way to distract them. But whatever you decide, your kids are going to be okay and you are a really good mom. So cut yourself some slack on those days when you just have to turn on a show so that they will stop. So those are my three tips for how to get your kids to stop fighting in the car. First, turn on a kid's podcast, and our favorite is Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. Second, distract them with silliness. And third, turn on a show and cut yourself some slack. I hope this will help to make your car time a little bit happier. Hi, I'm Sarah. I live here in Denver with my two kids, and I'm going to share three tips on how to ask for help. As moms, I know we could all use help all the time. I particularly went through an experience this spring where I really had to learn how to ask for help. My appendix ruptured while I was 15 weeks pregnant, and I found myself stuck in the hospital for two weeks, unable to see or take care of my kids. And because this is such an unexpected event, I hadn't prepared any plans for someone to step in and take over my life for me. We have no grandparents in town to help with childcare, and this really humbling experience taught me the importance of asking for help. My first tip on how to ask for help is to start small. An example of this would be you're having people over for lunch or dinner and you're stressed and maybe getting a little sweaty trying to prepare everything and get it on the table all at once and everyone else is just standing there. Ask your friend if she could carry the plates to the table for dinner or toss the salad. 
If you're out somewhere at a friend's house and you're thirsty, speak up and ask for a glass of water. These are super small things that anyone would be happy to help with, and it helps you gain your voice and practice this skill on a small scale. The second tip for asking for help is to be specific. The more specific you can be, the more easier it is for someone to help you. So when I was in the hospital, many people were happy to help with my kids, but it was so much easier when I could sit down and say, okay, I need someone to pick up my son from preschool at this time and then take him to this place. And I need someone to drop off dinner at this date. The more specific you are, the easier it is for someone to step up to that role. My third tip on how to ask for help is to think about a time when you needed help. So when you're sitting there horrified to ask for something or you feel like it's too much, just think about when you wanted to help someone. When I was in the hospital, I cringed at the thought of asking someone to go out of their way to pick up my kids or drive them somewhere. But then I paused and I thought about if it was my friend stuck in the hospital and I wouldn't hesitate to drive 15 minutes out of my way to take her kids somewhere for her. It really wouldn't be a big deal for me to do that for someone. So why was it such a big deal for me to ask? And they can always say no. But I think if you're stuck in your head about asking for something, just put yourself in the other perspective. If it was your friend or family member, you would want to do that for them. You would want them to give you something to do because when we're in uncertain times, action helps us. So three tips for asking for help. One, practice small and find your voice. Two, be as specific as you can. And three, put yourself in the shoes of the helper. I hope that helps you and that we can all find ways to be there for each other for big and small things. Thanks. Hi, my name is Ashley. I'm from South Weber, Utah, and I have three children, five, three, and two months. My three takeaways are how to help your child be more successful at math and hopefully enjoy math more. Now, where my oldest is in kindergarten, I haven't really helped my own children with tons of homework but I've helped hundreds and hundreds of high school students as I teach at a local high school. My three takeaways for helping your child be more successful at and enjoy math more is first, it's okay to make mistakes. That's how we learn. In my classroom, I love to celebrate mistakes and help students realize that I think that's awesome. I think it's awesome they tried. They put something down on the paper. Now let's take what they've done and see how we can just make it that much better. I often will tell my students that no one is perfect. That's why pencils have erasers. There'd be no need to have erasers if we didn't make mistakes. Mistakes are how we learn and they're awesome. So encourage your child that it is okay to make mistakes. It does not have to be perfect the first time. My second takeaway is make sure you as a parent have a positive attitude towards math. Your thoughts are mirrored in that of your child. So if you express very negative thoughts at home towards math, that'll be the same thoughts your child has towards math. So even if you're being positive through gritted teeth because math is not your favorite, if your child sees you having a positive attitude, they will also have more of a positive attitude. I think of a lot of like when my kids realized that I didn't like pickles, it's been really hard to get my kids to even be willing to try pickles because they see that I don't like them. Kind of the same way with math. If your child sees that you don't like math, those same thoughts are going to be mirrored in them. My third takeaway is you can do hard things. It just takes practice. I often relate this to sports with my students. I could go watch one of my basketball players make a basket. Great. I watched them. 
but that doesn't mean I could then do it. I would definitely miss. And I teach them it's the same thing with math. It, just because you watch me do a problem doesn't mean that you can then do it. It takes practice. Just like baskets, you have to shoot hundreds and thousands of baskets to be successful at them consistently. It's the same with math. It takes continual practice to be good at it. And encourage them that, yeah, it is hard. It's not always fun, but practice is what helps us be more successful. And those are my three takeaways at how to help your child be more successful and hopefully come to enjoy math more. Hi, my name is Miriam Torres, and I'm a mom to two daughters. I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. I also have a business called Because of What Happened, and what we do is try to help survivors of sexual assault, abuse, or trauma heal. I started my business because I am a sexual assault survivor, and I wanted to provide a less clinical and more upbeat place where survivors could heal in a really practical way. Survivor, after I had children, I found that it was really difficult with my PTSD and all of the other symptoms that have come as an after effect of the assault to just be a mom. And so I wanted to talk briefly about three takeaways that have really helped me. The first takeaway I want to talk about is determining what your tells are for when your anxiety and PTSD and depression are about to act up and predetermine how you're going to counteract those things and remedy them. So I feel myself being more irritable, not wanting to get out of bed, not wanting to do the everyday things that you have to do when you're going to be a mom. And so I take that as saying, hmm, maybe I need another therapy appointment. Maybe I need to be practicing more self-care. Maybe I have too much on my plate and I need more help. So just having a plan set up for when those things pop up because they will makes it so much easier to get through them. The second takeaway has to do mostly with validation. And that's what my business is really created on is this foundation of providing survivors with validation and teaching them to validate their own emotions. I really believe that emotions that are expressed and validated with empathy can be relieved. And as a survivor, I doubt a lot of my emotions, but validating them has been one of the most beneficial tools that I have in my healing. The primary way I do that is with affirmations. And I created a affirmation deck that is specifically for survivors of sexual assault or abuse or trauma. And I'm also creating decks for other traumas. But I think validating those emotions at every point in your healing, it can be scary, but it has so much power in healing. The third takeaway I feel like is one of the most important I can talk about on here because it doesn't just apply to the survivors, but it applies to all the mothers listening, and that is how to protect your children from sexual abuse. Rachel's already done an awesome episode with Kristen Hodson where she talks about how you should talk to your kids about sex. So definitely listen to that if you haven't yet. The number one thing that I feel like I have taught my children is that we have surprises and we don't have secrets because so much of sexual abuse and trauma revolves around secrecy and that you're not allowed to talk about it. So in our house, we have surprises because everybody always finds out surprises, but when they're secrets, they stay a secret and they often stay hidden. And the last thing I want to say is it's not the hardest thing in the world to protect your children from sexual assault. As a sexual assault survivor, my main priority is protecting my children and there are so many resources available and you just need to go looking for them because they are there and they are amazing and they will help you protect your children. And just remember, healing is so hard, but it is so possible and worth it. Hi, Rachel. My name is Maggie and I live with my husband and three young children in St. Louis. My husband and I met in graduate school for social work and now I am a stay-at-home mom. So I try to use as much of my social work knowledge as possible in my parenting. 
Today, I wanted to talk about three ways to develop healthy self-talk in your kids. The first way is to model it for them. Acknowledge your positive attributes in front of them, which may sound easy, but I think it's something a lot of us don't do, and especially not out loud. The second way is to be their first voice in their heads. Help them learn their own strengths by pointing them out and doing that often. That can be done while they're playing or while they're having a hard time. Reminding my two-year-old how kind she is when she's not acting that way toward her siblings really helps snap her out of it. And the last one is pointing out when characters in books or on shows think positively about themselves. As many of us have seen, it's one thing for us to try and teach them things, but it can be much more effective when they see peers acting it out. That's it. Pretty simple, but it may take some practice, especially if you're still working on your own healthy self-talk. Thanks for all you do and share, Rachel. Hi, I'm Jessica, and I am the founder of Treasured Families. I live in Washington State, and I have four kids from 6 to 18 years old. Today, I'm going to share three fun and easy ways you can help your kids learn more about their family history. Why? Because studies have shown that kids who know their family history are more resilient when facing challenges, and they have better self-esteem than those who don't. Plus, it's a fun way to build strong connections with your kids. Takeaway number one, use their interests to help them learn stories about their ancestors. Is your kid into Legos or Minecraft? Have them build a story scene and use Lego people to act out a family story. Is your kid into painting or drawing? Have them recreate a photo of an ancestor. If they like crafts, teach them some traditional crafts like weaving, sewing, crocheting, knitting, embroidery, etc. If they like cooking, let them cook some traditional food from your heritage. If you don't know how to do these things, just look it up on YouTube and let someone else teach them. Better yet, you can even learn together. Teaching kids their family history can also strengthen your connection to each other as you participate in fun activities. Takeaway number two, find things your kids have in common with their ancestors. As your kids do things that remind you of your childhood or your ancestors, share those stories with them. Point out the characteristics, talents, and other things they have in common with their ancestors. This might seem hard at first, but once you start talking and remembering, the memories come more frequently and easily. Takeaway number three, Use everyday activities to inspire stories. There are things that we have to do every day, like cooking, getting ready for work, going to school, and you can use these opportunities to talk to your kids about their family history. When cooking family favorites for dinner, tell your kids who you got the recipe from and tell a story about them. At snack times, you can share your favorite childhood snacks and foods with your kids, which will open opportunities to tell stories. Kids usually love to hear stories about their parents as children. When getting ready or driving to work, Tell them what their ancestors did for a living. When taking kids to school, tell them about what school was like for you or their ancestors. As you share your family history with your children, you will strengthen their sense of identity and their connection with you. So have fun teaching them through their interests, finding things they have in common with their ancestors, and using everyday activities to inspire stories. Have fun! Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Kimberly Hardy. I have three boys, ages 5, 3, and 1, and I currently live in Appleton, Wisconsin. I have three takeaways for becoming a stay-at-home mom after having a high-powered career. Before my second son was born, I was a professor of psychology at Boise State University. While at BSU, I met my husband, who is stationed at Mountain Home Air Force Base in Idaho. About a month after I earned tenure, my husband was selected to be an Air Force recruiter in Wisconsin. I decided I would take the opportunity to walk away from academia to become a stay-at-home mom. One, do what is best for you and your family. After having my first son, I was torn. 
I wanted to spend every moment with him. I cried in the car the first day I dropped him off at daycare. As much as I wanted to be home, I didn't even consider quitting. I had invested so much time and energy into my degree and my career, and I didn't want to let my coworkers down. Because I had invested so much into my career, my husband was concerned about telling me about this opportunity. But when he did, I couldn't stop smiling. This meant I could stay home and quit without the guilt. At that moment, I realized I had been doing what I thought I was supposed to do and not what my heart really wanted. Two, treat being a mom as you would a paid full-time job. The same strategies that worked for your career can work at home. You need a private, organized space. Keep a consistent start time. Wake up before the kids wake up so you can get ready for the day. Have specific, tangible goals. Keep learning. Read books, take courses, and listen to podcasts that can help you improve as a mom. Create a consistent routine to accomplish these tasks like you would at the office. Three, stay optimistic. Being a stay-at-home mom is tough. I thought it would be so easy not having to juggle work and family because I knew what I could accomplish at the office. However, I didn't realize how things rarely go according to plan when you're staying at home full-time. As opposed to when I was at the office, I would have uninterrupted focus time. Before changing my mindset to treat my new role as a career, I had so many meltdowns. It has been a learning process, but I focus on small areas to improve at a time. This gives me small wins and provides me with momentum to keep going forward. I recognize that I am a better mom than I was a month ago and that I am going to improve in the future. To reiterate on how to make the transition from working mom to stay-at-home mom, do what is best for you and your family, treat your new role as you would a paid full-time job, and stay optimistic. This has been the first of our My 3 and 30 compilation episodes. Stay tuned because we will have one more later this month with more wisdom from the 3 and 30 community of moms. Isn't it so fun to hear from them? I'm telling you, we have some brilliant, intentional mothers in this community. And one day, we are going to be able to get together for a massive weekend-long conference and get to know each other in real life. That truly is one of my dreams. So maybe 2021. Who knows? Don't forget to brainstorm and share your own three takeaways this month. You can use the hashtag my 3 and 30 if you do it on social media. And don't forget to tag me so I can enter you in the giveaways. This week, I'm giving away $150 for the 150th episode. And I am so excited to see your entries for that. Thank you so much for being part of this community of moms. It is thrilling that we have made it to three years. And I can't wait for so many more years to come. Take care of yourselves, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.